0: We're so prone to say God is good when things are good. But God, you love us. You love us no matter where we're at, no matter how we're stained, how we're broken. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for Christ who died in our stead that uh, you can love us and you can look at us and see Him. That we're covered. Christ God we pray for this day this time we have together this coming together that we do God I just pray that uh, it speaks to our heart that you speak through Michael and uh, you speak to each one of us thank you for this precious time help us to be diligent to the gifts You give us. And give us strength by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: And you may be seated. It's good, even if Paul thinks he might should sing a little faster, it's good to sometimes to sing slowly. To let those words sink in, to have a chance to think about what it is that we're singing and not um, just see the words and I'm going to repeat them because they're up there. Uh, It's good to think about those things, which is also why it's good at times to repeat things. There's, you know, if you've been around churches long enough, you know people argue about music all the time. Um, Some people don't like modern praise songs because they say, well, you just kind of repeat the same thing over and over again. Well, if you're just repeating it and it becomes mindless, that's not good. But if, if you get a chance for those words to soak in, if you get a chance to think about those words, then, I mean, you are aware that, that we have sung about the gospel this morning in numerous aspects of the Christian life, from what God has done for us, from our state from the fact that even though God has redeemed us and saved us, we still struggle. And we have a Heavenly Father that enters into that struggle. All of those things we have allowed to soak in. So uh, my encouragement to you, regardless of of, of what we're singing, we, we do a pretty broad mix here of, of hymns and worship songs and new stuff and old stuff Um to think through those words as you sing and not just assume it's, there's more words and I can follow along, um, but we allow those, uh, we consider that part a, a vital part of what we do. Um, it is a presentation of the Word of God as well, not just when we open this book and when we talk about it, but as we, as we sing Scripture as well. Um, some announcements this morning uh, afterward. Second hour, uh, again, if you are interested in, in part of a hospitality team, meet with Chad out front in the, in the foyer. Um, just a couple of updates on Noah sent an email out last night. Um, nothing is broken, but they think that he's detached or torn a muscle off of his hip, which is going to require a visit to an orthopedic doctor this week. And he's in a lot of pain, so you can pray for him um, as well and continue to pray for Jeff. Uh, and uh, that he'd be able to get in to see the uh, doctor sooner than later. Um, Rachel, our gal who keeps nursery, Phil and Dottie's uh, daughter, uh, just a reminder that she had her baby last Sunday, Glory Bell, and continue to pray for them. And then Phil and Dottie are just enjoying the grandparent thing so much. Uh, their son out in Arizona, Andrew, is. Uh, his wife is a Cassie, is expecting uh, this week and they're going to induce on Thursday if nothing's happened before then. So pray for them as well and uh, for God fielders to enjoy uh, this time of m- being grandparents multiple times over. Uh, let's see. I think that was it. Uh, it is Operation Christmas Child time again. And uh, again, there's some samples out front, some information as well about how to do that. Uh, And those are due back November 12th. Have you ever wished that someone would act like they're supposed to? I have, especially this football season. Uh, See, my Longhorns were supposed to have a really good defense this year. Uh, Last year, they had one of the best defenses in the country. And this year, it was supposed to be even better. After the first couple of games when it didn't look so hot, people were still saying, yeah, but they're going to be really good, just wait. Well, enough evidence has been compiled over the last seven or eight games that no one believes that anymore. In fact, they have one of the worst defenses in the country. They've given up 600 yards each of the last two games. And because of the evidence that they've compiled against themselves... Nobody believes anymore, even though for three or four games, people were still saying, oh, they're really good. Nobody says that anymore. There's just too much evidence. Maybe you're like me, though, sometimes you look at yourself and and you wish that you would act like you're supposed to. I tend to do that. I, I know as a child of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit that I should manifest those fruits of the Spirit all the time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I know that should be how I walk each and every day with my family and people that I come in contact with and when I'm by myself. That should be the regular operation of my life. And if you ask my family, you'll know that that doesn't always happen. And so the question is, why? (laughs) Why do we do that? Why why are we not like we're supposed to be? What's what's the problem? Um, We look around and and we see other people who who claim to know Christ and we sometimes scratch our head and go, why did they do that? Surely if if they were a Christian, they wouldn't have done that. Right? And, And it causes us to wonder... And then we begin to ask, maybe, how much evidence do we need to pile up before someone begins to say, oh, they're not what they say they are? Is there a, is there a magic number? Is there a, a number of sins that, that someone needs to accumulate? Is there a, a length of time they need to go before we, before we can say, I'm just not sure that they are who they say they are. Um, At Christ Community Church, our mission statement is that we glorify God as Christ-centered and spiritually vibrant people of biblical integrity. We've been talking about that for the last three or four weeks. This morning, I want to talk about what it means to be spiritually vibrant. Because that answers, that helps us deal with that problem of I'm not or you're not who I say or you say that you are. We could look at lots of places. We could look at Galatians 5 and, and look at those fruits of the Spirit as evidence that someone is spiritually vibrant. We could spend some time kind of doing a survey of 1 Corinthians um, where over and over Paul talks about how the Spirit is what makes them a community of believers. Because surely spiritually, spiritually, being spiritually vibrant is a corporate aspect as much as it is an individual aspect but this morning we're going to look at at Romans 8, because I think um, there's a couple of things there that that speak to that issue of, what do I do when I don't act like I say I should act? Or when I look around, is there something that can help me deal with the fact that other people aren't who they say they are? And I think Romans 8 helps us do that. There's It's almost impossible to start somewhere in the middle of Romans because Paul has a long, concise, well-argued argument from chapter 1 to the end. And to jump into the middle of his argument is a, a dangerous thing to do. But let me give you some immediate context of what's going on. Paul says, if you're a believer, the Spirit indwells you. That's the immediate context. If you're a believer spirit indwells you and despite how you may act as a believer he says the beginning of eight there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's the context of what we're talking about so let's uh let's read and what I want you to look for are are two things Being spiritually vibrant means that we are actively putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And being spiritually vibrant means that we understand and we embrace our adoption from God. So Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 12. So then brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at Your Word this morning, I pray that You would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears and ultimately our wills that we may do Your will. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. First point Paul makes is that if the Spirit lives in us, we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. He begins by saying, so then you are under no obligation to the flesh. Um, you're under no debt to the flesh. You don't owe your body anything, despite the fact that it may scream at you, I need... fill in the blank. Or I want... fill in the blank. Or to be happy, I have to have... and you fill in the blank. Regardless of what your body says to you, you're under no obligation as a believer to do what it says. You don't have to listen to that anymore. That's good news, that's encouraging. The problem is is that it screams all the time that it wants things from us. And when we give in, then what happens is is that we feel condemnation. We feel guilt. And what our flesh would love for us to do is to, to stay in that place of guilt or to stay in that place of slavery to our bodies. I want you to be here because I want to be happy. And then when you want to get out, I'm going to make you feel guilty. And so we end up wallowing in guilt and wallowing in condemnation or wallowing in pleasure because we think that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to feed our body. And Paul says, you're under no obligation to do that or to stay there, in fact. And then he gives us a warning. He says in verse 13, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. And I don't think he's talking about physical death. I think he's talking about spiritual death. And we say, well, now, wait a minute. Are you saying, Paul is saying that we can lose our salvation? No, I don't think that's what Paul's saying, but he is giving a very, a very severe warning that several other writers in the New Testament also give. Um, and it's, it's a warning to make sure that you actually are where you think you are. I want to give you a, a picture to help this make sense. I think I can ex- illustrate it better than I can explain it. Uh, there are two realms that every human being on this planet that's alive lives in. John talked about and we read in John chapter 3. There is a place that you can be in of judgment or condemnation. And Jesus says, if you don't believe in the Son of God, that's where you are. If you do believe in the Son of God, John, Jesus says, there is no condemnation. Paul says the same thing. Those are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. You might think of it as guilty or justified, condemned, not condemned, judged, not judged. Everybody on this planet is in one of those two circles. And it's very clear to God which circle people are in. The problem is it's not very clear to us. We have a hard time sometimes distinguishing maybe even where we are, or certainly we look around and we think, well, where do they fit in? And the problem comes right there. Because sometimes it seems that people in this circle, well, are they in that circle or are they here? And people that we think are in this circle sometimes, well, maybe they're in this circle. It's hard to tell. Two ways to think about that. Uh, there are people who have not trusted in Christ, but their life looks really good. They may even know all the right Christian language. They may live a life that looks better than some believers that you know. And so we look at their life and we go, are they a Christian? Sure, I bet they are. I bet they're a believer. But they've not trusted in Christ. They're still on their own throne. They've not changed allegiance from themselves to Christ, and so they're in that gray area. It's not gray to God, but it's gray to us. The other possibility is there's someone who has accepted Christ, but for whatever reason, they're choosing to walk in the flesh. We look at their life and go, there's no way a Christian would do that, right? Or maybe you look at your own life and go, I can't believe I did that Am I a Christian? Am I a child of God? Would I do that if I'm a child of God? And we doubt about someone else. We doubt about ourselves. And the problem is, is that that we've built these frameworks of outward behavior and we allow that to be our guide sometimes. And that can be a dangerous thing because in our minds, there's, there's that gray area where it seems people all in that we can't figure out where they fit now in god's mind those areas don't exist he knows but we struggle with that and what paul is saying when he says if you live according to the flesh you will die it's a warning that you know if you find yourself here there's there's only two reasons that you're there Either you are a believer and you've chosen for whatever reason to to wallow in the flesh, you've been deceived, you've, you've not fought like you should, or it's possible that you're not a believer and you need to make sure that you are who you say you are. You need to do a, a check. Am I doing the things that I'm doing because I've been deceived? Or am I doing the things that I'm doing because I'm still on the throne of my life? And Paul says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. See, we still struggle with that because there's Paul doesn't give us a hard and fast rule. Paul how many times can I jump back over in this circle and and still be okay? Or or how long can I wallow over here in the flesh? Is that a week? If a week goes by, what about a month? Paul, what if I'm struggling for a year? He doesn't spell that out, but the warning is Christians don't belong here. Believers don't belong there. And the way that you get out of there is either one, accepting Christ and believing what He says. There's no condemnation. Or two, if you are a believer, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Stop playing around in that middle area and going, well, okay, next week. Next week, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going I'm to stop doing whatever it is that I'm doing. It's interesting. The issue is not how often or how much. The issue really is the attitude. Jesus talks about that in Revelation 3. So he's writing to the church in Sardis. He uses some of the exact same words that Paul uses. And he couches that argument in terms of repentance. He tells that church, there are some of you that are about to die. And then he says, repent. See, the issue is not how much or how often. The issue is When I'm here, when I'm stuck in the middle, what do I do? And the clear teaching of Scripture throughout is, repent. Paul struggled with this very issue, right? We read through Romans chapter 7 where he says, you know, I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. Paul's very, very aware of the struggle that we all face. He knows that we end up in that middle section more often than we want to and more often than we should. But He also knows that He shouldn't be there either. And we read His understanding of our condition in verse 24 of chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer, of course... Thanks be to God. The further answer, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There really are two different circles. Get rid of that. And we can choose, as a believer, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not easy, but we can make that choice. And we can stay in this circle more often than not if we, if we choose to do that. So one of the characteristics of being spiritually vibrant is that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We kind of quit playing around that middle area. We, we try to take control of where our mind dwells and what our actions are. Paul's going to talk about that some more in just a minute and give us some, some help in how to do that. The second thing that spiritually vibrant people do is they understand... And they embrace their adoption. Verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Right? We were enslaved to our flesh before Christ, but now we've been set free. You don't have to do what your flesh says anymore. You are not enslaved. You're not under any obligation. But instead, we've received the Spirit of of adoption, he says at the end of 15. Do you understand what that means that you've been adopted? Adoption is when you go from having one set of parents to another set of parents. You go from being a part of one household to being a part of another household. You go from being a part of one family and doing things the way that family does it to being part of another family and doing the, way, doing the things that that family does. You even get in adoption a new birth certificate. Um, I've shown, shown you this slide before. We've talked about that. Um, as a child of God, you have a new birth certificate. You're no longer a child of the devil or a child of this world or anything else. Um, You could just put your name in that top thing. You might ought to write one of those out. Keep it on your desk or on your wall as a reminder of the fact that you are adopted by God. You're a child of God. You're no longer a child of anybody else in the spiritual sense. You have a new beginning. You have a new identity. You have a new family. Yeah, but you know I've heard stories about adopted kids, and sometimes they're not treated just like the real kids. Well, Paul addresses that issue. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs that do we get like what's left over after the real kids get it? No, he says heirs of God and. Fellow heirs with Christ or joint heirs with Christ. You can let that sink in for just a little bit. You're not a second class child or a second class citizen of heaven. You're not like the stepchild that gets treated poorly. Joint heirs with Christ, with the Son of God. And we need to understand that because that changes how we view lots of things, especially sin, especially the call of the flesh. And we need to embrace that. He says in verse 15, that spirit of adoption by which we cry out or by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. See, do you depend upon your father? Do you come to him like a real father? When you're in trouble, when you find yourself where you shouldn't be, not putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you have someone who's willing to listen. You have someone who wants you to cry out to him. And it's not just this stiff and staid man in a long, in a, with a long beard and a white robe that's kind of hard to approach, it's a father. Abba, Daddy. That's the God that we serve. And the God who wants you to embrace your adoption. Wholly and completely and fully. But then Paul gives us another condition. I hate when he does that. <laughs> this is true if indeed we suffer with Him. Talking about Christ. What he's not talking about is, is the cross. See, we, we can't suffer with Christ the way Christ suffered on the cross. Only, only Jesus could do that. Only Christ could, could pay for our sins. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the suffering that Jesus did, in a sense, from the beginning all the way through the garden. That suffering of putting to death His humanity for the sake of you and me. Over and over again, Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut. Those three temptations by Satan early on and even in the garden, the temptation was real. He spoke it. God, if there's another way. But part of His suffering was putting that to death. But not my will. Father, but yours be done. The writer of Hebrews says, you haven't resisted temptation to the point of shedding of blood. I think he's referring to the fact that not Jesus' blood sacrifice, but the fact that Jesus resisted temptation to the point of His death. He didn't have to go through with it, but He did. And what Paul is saying is, are you willing to suffer like that, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right, sometimes we don't do it because it's just it's inconvenient to get rid of that sin. It might be embarrassing to get rid of that sin because it might require someone knowing something about me that I don't want them to know. It might require being ruthless. Right, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, Your hand doesn't cause you to sin, but there are lots of other things that lead us into temptation. Are we willing to get rid of them? And you know more than I do what those things are in your life. But are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to shed blood? To sacrifice something to stay out of sin, to stay out of that middle area that we talked about? Are you willing to be ruthless? Christ was ruthless because he cared about you and he cared about me and he wanted to offer his Father a holy sacrifice that was acceptable. And Paul says, We get to share in that if if we're ruthless in the same way. Because when we talk about those two spheres on this planet, we're either condemned or we're not condemned there's another sphere that's yet to be. the end of 17, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we also may be glorified with Him. See, right now, this sphere of non-condemnation sometimes in this world gets blurred with that other sphere. We know that it's not perfection, but one day, we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. There is a day coming when we will be glorified we will put off this old flesh and we'll be clothed anew but the warning is real christians don't belong in that middle section and to be spiritually vibrant people we need to be people individually and corporately that are willing to put to death the deeds of the flesh But one of the best ways to do that is to embrace the fact that you have a Father who has brought you into His family and allow Him to be the strength that helps you because if you try to do that on your own, you'll fail because your flesh will talk you out of it. But if you rely upon Him, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. You can be a person who people look at and while they may not use the word spiritually vibrant, They will notice something different about you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for um, the challenge and the the encouragement and the, the rebuke, even. Thank you that you don't take sin lightly. Thank you that you call us to be people who are different. Thank you that you are consistent. That you haven't lowered the bar of your expectations, but you've given us your son to help us meet those expectations. You've filled us with your spirit to help us walk in the way that you want us to walk. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that you would speak truth to our hearts. That you would reveal to us this week those places where we just simply are choosing not to or don't know how to put to death certain deeds of our flesh. And through Your Spirit, show us how to do that. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Give us boldness. Take away our fear and our shame and our guilt for Your glory and for the good of Your church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.